Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my apologies for not being there in person this morning, as had already been said. I share an office, a small office, a small room at work with another individual. And this person had been feeling poorly, so they may be late Wednesday, all day Thursday, and Friday he was feeling so bad he left, only to discover he was COVID positive uh, Friday afternoon. So out of an abundance of caution, by the way, I still feel fine, but out of an abundance of caution, we decided it best for me not to come in and run the risk of sharing the love, so to speak, the COVID love with everyone only to find out at some point that maybe Gene is in fact coming down with something. It happens to be Miss Betty's 91st birthday. Everybody point to Miss Betty so everyone who's visiting will know where she is. And the last thing I wanted to do was to give her a special present of COVID on her birthday. So even though I cannot hug you today, Miss Betty, you're going to get a lot of hugs hopefully next week. So happy birthday to Miss Betty. The sermon topic this morning is six questions about the Lord's Supper. You may remember uh, in the last year we've done a couple of these where we have looked at something and tried to answer the question of what does the Bible say? We want to speak at Lindsley Avenue where the Bible speaks and really not speak where the Bible does not speak. That's our, one of our guiding principles at Lindsley Avenue. <laughs> And we want to look at the topic of the Lord's Supper this morning in the same way that we looked at the topic of worship about a year ago in that way. And here recently, a month or so ago, we looked at baptism this way. By answering those six questions of what, where, when, how, why, and who about the topic from the Bible. And so we're going to do that the same way today with the Lord's Supper. So the first question of what? What? Well, the Lord's Supper, which is also called communion, is a memorial in which Christians partake in memory of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And it is composed of two things, bread and the fruit of the vine, which is either wine or grape juice. The first passage to look at to see the answer to that of what? I would suggest to go to, and it's on the handout, I think most of it had, is from 1 Corinthians 10, 16. That passage states, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And then the passage that we just read, uh, that Thorough just read a moment ago from Matthew 26, says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and break it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So it involved bread and a cup containing the fruit of the vine, which, as we say, is, is wine or grape juice. Now, the bread they were eating here was unleavened bread. The time that they are, that Jesus institutes this, do this in his memory, this uh, feast of the bread and the cup, was the time of the Passover. And for a period of several days leading up to the Passover, 
Jewish homes and Jewish houses were cleansed of leaven or yeast, which is what makes bread rise. And so the bread that they would have had would have been baked and, and made without the use of leaven. Usually we think of crackers as containing leaven, but regular crackers, saltines, contain uh, baking agents, which can make it rise a little bit, and it's still pretty full of But unleavened bread is a special type of bread that looks a lot like crackers. Uh, many tortillas are also unleavened bread. So back when COVID was having so many people uh, be at home and, and not getting together in big groups, you could get uh, unleavened bread crackers in some places, and you could get that. One preacher I know recommended that you simply go get uh, some tortillas because those are almost always unleavened bread. The cup contained wine. It was very, very difficult in the first century for a long, long time to keep grape juice where it would not ferment. One of the reasons the Welches made, its great, made their great fortune is they perfected a process which allowed for relatively easy um, preservation of grape juice as juice without it turning into wine. And some churches scattered throughout, um, they will still use, in fact, wine. But wine has some issues sometimes because people can become alcoholics in the past. And the last thing you want to do is to, I think, probably serve wine, which could give somebody a problem. So most places simply use grape juice in a form of unleavened bread. We do the same exact thing at Lindsay Avenue today that they did in the first century. When we partake of the Lord's Supper point after the sermon this morning, we will be partaking of unleavened bread and some grape juice. We do the same things here. So the answer to what? It's a memorial about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that involves partaking of some unleavened bread and fruit of the vine, which we will do in the form of some grape juice. So that's the answer I would give to what. Where is the second question? What, where? Well, the most important where is part of the Lord's Supper. It's actually not a physical location at all, so to speak. It is in the heart of the people partaking of the Lord's Supper. You all are gathered there in the building of Lindsley Avenue, and so you will be partaking of it as a part of a gathering of God's people, brothers and sisters getting together. But the important aspect of the where is within the heart of each and every one of us. The Bible does, however, give many indications that Christians gathered together and partook of the Lord's Supper as a group function. They did gather together for the purpose of partaking of the Lord's Supper. The first uh, passage, the primary passage I want us to look at for that is in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Sometimes a very familiar passage. But in Acts chapter 20, Paul is in uh, Troas, fairly near the ruins of Troy from the Trojan War, the Greeks and the Trojans supposedly, the people of Troy supposedly fought. But in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we read, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, or preached to them, intending to depart on the next day, he prolonged his speech until midnight. Everyone is always very, very happy when I say that I am not going to follow Paul in that manner, prolong this speech, this sermon, until midnight. 
So let's look at Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It says, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when we were gathered together to break bread, when we here are Christians, brothers and sisters, members of God's family, that gathered together, and it says here, to break bread. The specific language is the original Greek written in the, in the New Testament involves the idea of we gathered together for the reason, the purpose to break bread. The reason they gathered together was to break bread. And that phrase break bread is used as a synonym, as a phrase referring to the Lord's Supper throughout the New Testament. So where they gathered together as a group that happens on Sunday mornings when we all gather together as brothers and sisters to worship God. So when they had gathered together on Sunday morning in order to break bread to partake of the Lord's Supper, that's the where of partaking of the Lord's Supper. But as another note, I want to remind one more time, the most important part of where is in each individual's heart. We cannot forget that. Don't forget that. So in terms of what the people did in the first century, what they did in the Bible, we do the same thing here at Lindsley Avenue. We gather together on the first day of the week for the purpose of remembering the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we have that memory reinforced to us by partaking of the Lord's what, where, and the third question would be when. In terms of when, I want us to look at two passages out of 1 Corinthians. The first is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27. Paul, in going through the history of the institution of the Lord's Supper, where it came from, as he's describing that to the brothers and sisters in Corinth, in chapter 11, he says, the Lord Jesus on the same night which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take heed, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in my memory. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do or do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me or in my memory. And then a couple of the verses down, we read, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes, until he returns. So when did they do it? Well, as often as you do it, when you were gathered together, Paul says, you are proclaiming the Lord's death. Go back once more to Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them and did it on the next day, he, he prolonged his speech until midnight. That is the only example in the New Testament, in the entire New Testament, that indicates when, what day they gathered together for the purpose of breaking bread. Each day, uh, each week rather, as a first day, that is why we do this on the first day of the week, just as they did there in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It's always been of interest to me that some of our religious neighbors and other religious groups that do not partake of the Lord's Supper every single first day of the week understand that every week has a first day when it comes to contributions. In Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 
Paul had said for people to lay by and store when you gather together on the first day of the week in order to have a functioning treasury of monies for the church to go about its business and help people. Most religious groups of which are some of our friends might be members of usually will take the contribution of the first day of the week, but they don't apply that same parallel logic, if you will, to partaking of the Lord's Supper. But we do, because that's what the New Testament indicates. The only example that we have, they gather together on the first day of the week. We do the same thing here at Wednesday night. Question four, what prayer men have? Well, when Jesus told his disciples to remember him by doing this, he took each item and gave thanks to God, and then they partook of each of those two items. Matthew 26, 26 to 28, in the passage that Earl read for us earlier. As they were eating, they had been gathered together partaking of a, a Passover type of meal. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. When we partake of this memorial to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, to what he did for us, which we will do there at Wednesday Avenue very shortly after this sermon is over. We do the same thing. We take each item, we take the bread, there will be a prayer for the bread, and then it will be distributed to those who are present. After a few moments, a minute or so, or something like that, they will then get back up front, take the fruit of the vine, and, and that will be distributed in the same portion since we're doing this and still somewhat post-COVID era. But there will be a prayer offered for the fruit of the vine, and then everyone there gathered together will partake of the fruit of the vine. We attempt as best we can to do the same thing at Lindsley Avenue that they did in the first century as recorded in the Bible. I do want to offer one caution, however, when it comes to how people partake of the Lord's Supper. If you look back to 1 Corinthians 11, Paul also has this, he read the first part of this passage. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Notice what he says right after what he says. However, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? Well, Realistically, no one is ever going to be worthy of the sacrifice Jesus made. You and I are not worthy at all of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the plan that God put into place, and we can never be worthy. After I do everything I could possibly do, the only thing I can say to God is that I am still an unworthy servant. So that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that you need to have done these four things and then you're worthy of being able to partake of the Lord's Supper. What it means is this is a caution to us to approach this communion, this sharing, this remembrance of the life of Jesus in a serious manner. Do not approach the Lord's Supper in a flippant manner. Oh, yeah, great. Sorry, let me partake of that real quick. So how would that play out? in 
our modern society. Well, don't partake of the Lord's Supper. Perhaps I'm going to hold this up because it happens to be near me here at the home. While you're texting, don't take just a half second break from texting to partake of the Lord's Supper. Don't be waiting for the Lord's Supper, thinking about a sporting event, and then say, oh, oh it's time, and then partake of the Lord's Supper. Our minds need to be focused on what Jesus did for us, offering his body and shedding his blood so that you and I might have the opportunity to become a member of God's family. If we're not thinking that, we're not focusing on that, if our minds are elsewhere, if we're involved in any other kinds of interaction and not thinking about what Jesus did for us, we're not taking this memorial, this uh, event that Jesus said to do this in his memory in any serious manner. We're approaching it very unserious, without any focus. So I would suggest that's what's really meant by anyone who partakes of this in a manner that's not worthy of what Jesus did. We take this seriously. Why? Why should we approach this with a focus? I think the primary reason for the need of a focus when we're partaking of this event was talked about earlier. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul had said, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? When we do this, when all of you will be doing that there within the auditorium Lindsay Avenue here in just a few minutes. We are joining ourselves. That's what the word communion means. It's a joint participation. We are joining together our lives individually and collectively to the body and blood of Jesus. His sacrifice on our behalf. This communion has two dimensions to it. It has this vertical dimension that we're talking about. We are communing, sharing our lives with Jesus' sacrifice at that moment. We need to take that very seriously. There's also, and this isn't talked about as often, but there's also a very strong sharing horizontally to each person who's gathered there together. We are doing this individually, but as part of a group of God's people. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are all showing to ourselves and to each other we are in this together. Jesus died for all of us. So I think sometimes we have done this in a way that's not very um, strongly illustrated of that idea. You know, it's almost like we want to partake of this and pretend that we don't see anybody else in the building, that there's no one sitting around us in the courtroom. Certainly don't. Where allow yourself to make eye contact with anybody else who's there because that would be very inappropriate in this time of remembering what Jesus did. I don't believe that. I think it's a time where if you happen to make eye contact with somebody, if you see somebody else and they make eye contact with you, it's worthy of a nod in the sense of yes, brother and sister, we are in this together. I love you in the same way that God loves us. So it's a horizontal sharing communing together for what we are in together, which is we are the body of Christ, we are the family of God. Jesus died for me, he died for you. 
that reinforcement horizontally, I think it's perfectly appropriate if it happens. I wouldn't get up and wave at people and stuff like that, but if you happen to be sitting next to someone or see someone, it's okay to know not. Yes, brother, sister, we are in this together. The primary focus is vertical, that's sharing with what Jesus did for us, but the horizontal focus is very much implied and present in what we are going to do. Take the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, lightly, and condemnation is in fact denied. What, where, when, how, the next question you look at, I would say is why. There are several reasons why that are mentioned in the New Testament. We've talked about some of these verses before. 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 23 through, uh, verses 23 through 27. The book where Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the covenant of my new blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Why are we going to do this in a few minutes? The strong first reason is to remember, as we've said, remember what Jesus did for each one of us. Do this in my memory. Second reason, look back again to 1 Corinthians 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Each week as we do this, we are saying to the world, to our neighbors, and to one another that we are, in fact, Remembering what Jesus did, and we are telling the world that He will return. What's the second important reason why we do this? To proclaim the Lord's death and His eventual return every time we do this until He comes. Third big reason, third important reason for why we do this, we saw this in 1 Corinthians 10 16, the cup of blessing, which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ and the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Communion, as I said, means sharing, participating together. We share our hearts and our minds with God when we commune with Him through the Lord's Supper. And we also commune with each other as brothers and sisters. We are one body with many members when we do this. So the third important reason I would uh, offer to you to commune with Jesus and what, where, when, how, why, who. And every verse we have read so far, every verse in the New Testament that talks about the Lord's Supper, the group of people being addressed are followers of Jesus, members of his family, believers who have turned their lives from wrong to right. The only examples we have are of Christians who are followers of Jesus partaking of the Lord's Supper. After all, if you think about it, Someone who is not a follower of Jesus will not be proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes if they partake of the Lord's Supper. Someone who is not a member of God's family, not a follower of Jesus, is not going to be focusing on and remembering the death of Jesus is going to partake. So it's really designed, it's really aimed at people who are members of God's family, people who are Christians, followers of Jesus, who are remembering what Jesus did for them. Anyone who is not a member of God's family, anyone who is not a follower of Jesus, who partakes of it, if they partake of it, they're not really doing it for any of the reasons that we have talked about. 
If they want to remember the death of Jesus, then don't stop there. Let's talk and make sure that you become a member of God's family. But it's not really aimed at anyone who's not already a follower of Jesus. Some religious groups, certainly in the past, try to enforce this. Uh, they would offer what they would say is closed communion. If only if you are a member of this religious group, or only if you were a member of this specific local gathering, are you allowed to partake of the Lord's Supper? And they would uh, check. We don't check because there's no indication in any way in the New Testament that someone checks to see whether somebody is a follower of Jesus, a member of God's family, a member of the local congregation before they partake of the Lord's Supper. So we don't do that here. However, it's a very strong, strong message in the New Testament that the people who should partake of the Lord's Supper are in fact members of God's family, Christians, those who have become followers of Jesus. What, where, when, how, why, and who? I want to focus just a few minutes here to close of some, with some other questions that people have asked or somebody might ask about the Lord's Supper. Let's talk about uh, the first question that I have here listed. What about taking the Lord's Supper quarterly or annually? Well, all I can say here, all that we would say against the avenue is that the New Testament shows Christians partaking of the Lord's Supper every week. That's what the New Testament says. That's why we do what we do at the avenue. Early Christians after the time of the New Testament in the second century did this every week. Every first day of the week, just as they did in the uh, New Testament. We do this in the same way Christians did as recorded in the New Testament. People doing it otherwise, all I can say is point to the New Testament and say that's not what the New Testament says. So I don't know what happens when people do something outside of that. What about uh, another question? One religious groups only gives bread to people who gather together. Is that okay? Well, same answer to that, right? The New Testament indicates giving bread and the fruit of the body, communing with the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. I don't know why someone would only give uh, bread to those who come to, to worship with that religious group. We do what the Bible says to do, which is the taking of bread and the fruit of the body to remember the death of Jesus. Third question. You know, I spoke about uh, partaking this uh, Lord's Supper seriously, uh, taking, taking of it with a focus. Somebody might ask, am I going to hell if I took communion once and wasn't paying attention? Well, no, the New Testament does not say that in the sense of it doesn't anywhere say that someone's going to hell and can't come back from any form to living right with God if you Partake, partook of the Lord's Supper in an unserious manner. However, we really need to not do that. We need to focus. We need to have our mindset on what we are doing. And if you did that 10 years ago, it's so far in the past, you can pray to God and say, I remember doing that. I'm so sorry. I would have my mind in the right place and all should be pleased for you. I will strongly urge that we not in any way allow that to become some sort of practice. Paul is very specific that if you partake of this in a manner that's not worthy really of what it's all about, with a focus, with a seriousness, 
then condemnation is very high. The next question is a longer question. It's a much more detailed question. I thought about not putting this in the, in the uh, topic today at all. But is it really Jesus' literal body and blood in the bread and the fruit of the vine as part of the Lord's Supper? Well, we do read in Matthew 26, 26 to 28, the girl read earlier, Jesus said, Take eat, this is my body. And he also said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant. Uh, yes. Over in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27, when Paul's talking about it and remembering the same event, he says, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of body and blood. If Paul had wanted to reinforce to everyone there in Corinth that this is, in fact, the literal body literal blood of Jesus, or that it becomes that, this would have been a perfect opportunity to stay. When you think about this, when Jesus there with his disciples in Matthew 26, it says, take hey, eat, this is my body. Reality, his body was still reclining there at the table. He didn't take a literal portion of his body and hand it out to the disciples. He took bread and said, take hey, eat, this is my body. Paul has the opportunity to say at some point here in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 that this bread which we partake becomes a communion with the actual body of Jesus. I just don't see anywhere that this is specifically said. Some religious groups insist that it is. Um, I believe it represents it. I believe that it is to remind us of the body and the blood of Jesus. Early Christians were slandered imputed as slander, saying that they were cannibals. Pagans had said that early Christians were cannibals because when they gathered together, the, the statement made by the pagans was that Christians ate their God. And the defenders of Christianity said, not so, you're not eating a body of somebody when we gather together. That again would tend to suggest that that is not what early Christians thought it does not appear that Paul thought that. So I view Jesus' statements in Matthew 26, not that this is a literal body and his literal body and his literal blood that we are eating and it transforms into that. I view it as this is bread and fruit of the vine which should bring to our memory the body that Jesus gave for us and the blood that Jesus has shed for us. I think one of the most important questions I've got here is this last one. Why does God want me to do this? Why does he want me to partake of the Lord's Supper? Why is it here? What's it for? You know, I answered with, I don't know, back when uh, we had the questions on baptism a couple of weeks ago. Why does God want me to be buried in water and graves? And I don't really know, but I strongly suspect that it is to have us focus on Jesus, his life and death, and Jesus dying for us, that by focusing on that every first day of the week when we get together, we are much more likely to be committed to live for Him each and every day. So we are baptized and we are immersed in water and raised again to walk in newness of life. That reenacting, if you will, of Jesus' death and His resurrection 
illustrates that I'm supposed to die to myself and be raised to walk as a new person. Once we're a member of God's family, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are focusing our lives and our hearts on what Jesus did for us. Each week when we get together, the focus really needs to be on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, giving us the opportunity to be forgiven, to be members of God's family, and to recommit our efforts, our lives, our minds, and our hearts to live our lives for God in the coming week. So that's what the Bible says about the Lord's Supper. What we're going to outline and do and then some miscellaneous questions. The reason it's so important really ties into what Jesus did for each and every one of us. And in conclusion here at the end, if you're not yet a member of God's family, you need to be. Jesus really did live here on the earth. He, he walked among us, as John says in John chapter 1, and he lived a perfect life and so that you, so that I would have the opportunity, the possibility of having my sins forgiven. God will forgive our sins if we put our hope and trust in what Jesus did for us. We do that by understanding who Jesus was and what Jesus did, believing, coming to that conclusion in our minds that that's who Jesus was and what he did. By recognizing that that calls for a change in my life to stop living for myself and to live for God, that's that about face in my life, that's repenting, being willing and, and coming forth and telling people that Jesus is the Son of God, demonstrating my internal belief by expressing it just as the Ethiopian did in Acts chapter 8, where he was said, you can be baptized if you believe, and he said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and then by dying to yourself, by being buried in the waters of baptism, being raised to live our lives as a completely new person. That's what they did in the New Testament. That's what we do here at Wednesday Avenue. If you're already a member of God's family and you're simply looking at your life in this last week, the last few weeks, you haven't been living the way you know God wants you to live, then you can come forward and ask for prayers the church and brothers and sisters will pray with you so that we all can seek God's forgiveness for the failings we all have every day. The opportunity is yours in either situation today. If you're not yet a member of God's family, please, please don't leave Wednesday Avenue, that gathering of God's people, without changing your life, by dying to self, being baptized, and being raised to walk in the of life. And if you are a member of God's family already and need to get your life right with God, please come forward and uh, ask for prayer. And when all of us partake of the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes, let's all be sure to focus on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the most important event of all of human history. If you need to come to God, please come to God today as together we stand and sing.